celebrating as believers and if you're here this morning you're not a believer you can be before you leave amen Amen. Jesus Christ is the only way out of here and so we welcome you this morning to uh, be open to whatever the Lord's speaking to you that you can respond to that and let your life be made different amen he made all of our lives different he's here to touch each one of us we're so thankful that Jesus took our place on the cross and that's what we're here to celebrate today Not just today, but every day. Not only did he take our place on the cross, but he's risen from the dead. Three of you got it. I said Jesus is alive. Amen. He's alive. So what separates us from all the other false religions of the world is the one who instituted Christianity rose from the dead. Everybody else is still in the grave. But I got good news for you. If you put your confidence and trust in him... If you die before he returns, and that may not be the case because I believe he's coming soon, but if you die before he returns, you too will come out of that grave if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'll welcome you. Let's pray, and then we're going to get started with our service. We've got a couple of different things going on today, so if you will, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this moment, this day this opportunity to reflect back upon the sacrifice of you, Jesus. We're thankful that you have taken our place on the cross. We're thankful, Lord, that you have forgiven us of our sins and given us eternal life. We've come here today to celebrate that, to celebrate that and keep our eyes upon you because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Lord, we worship you this morning. Our hope would be in vain if you'd not risen from the grave, Paul said. But our hope's not in vain because we've found forgiveness and eternal life in you. We're thankful, Lord, that you carried that old rugged cross in our place without sin. And you took our sin. You felt the separation that sin causes between us and the Father. You felt that on the cross as taken our sin. And we're thankful, Lord, that you rose from the dead. And now we have hope without a question mark. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Give the Lord some praise. <clears throat> Children's Church. Children's Church is across the street in the other building. If you're in the elementary age or middle school or below and there's a nursery over there too if your baby gets out of whack take it over there and straighten it out because you're live around the world let's welcome our audience around the world this morning we are in 48 countries that we know about some are incognito because they would get in trouble and 46 states. We're trying to still figure out what's wrong with the other four states. So we welcome all of you that are with us this morning. We're glad you joined us for Passover slash Easter season. I want to preach to you this morning. I'm going to read a a little bit of a text here uh, to get you focused on what the Holy Spirit would have me share with you this morning. And uh, 
I want to start in Acts chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. And let me give you a little uh, refresher course on this season. Let's look at verse 16. Acts chapter 13, verse 16. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So that would include us, right? If you fear the Lord. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. And we celebrated that with our Seder meal. Now for a time of about 40 years he put up with their ways in the wilderness. How long has God had to put up with you? Yeah, some of you are thinking about that, aren't you? <laughs> and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. When he had removed him, he raised up for them them David as king, to whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will from this man's seed. Everybody say seed. seed. According to the law of promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, why do you think I, who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me whose sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. We're talking about Jesus. Men and brethren, sons and family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not know him, nor even the voice of the prophets which they read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that they had written concerning him, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Woo, I felt that. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are all his witnesses to the people. Now, Matthew says that when Jesus rose, also the graves of the saints opened up and they started walking around. So he had to come out first, and then he brought the Old Testament saints with him. God raised him from the dead. He came from Galilee to Jerusalem. And we declare to you glad tidings that the promise which was made to the fathers... God has fulfilled this for us, for their children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. So God has had a plan, and it started a long time ago, and his plan, God was not caught off guard in the garden. If you read the book of Revelation, the Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. So somewhere before man was created, somewhere before God formed what we dwell in, God has always been. He's always existed. 
And so, and so has the Son. The Bible says he's eternal. They said, hey, what about Abraham? And Jesus said to him the day, one of the days while he was on earth, he said, before Abraham was, I am. So you have the Father, the Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit all there in Genesis 1 creating what started creation. But before that, according to the text of the Scripture, and we know God cannot lie, then we know that Jesus had entered into an everlasting covenant with the Father that he would be the atonement, that he would be the sacrifice for the sins of men. And so that's why God wasn't caught off guard in the garden. That's why Jesus, the Bible says, was slain before the foundation of the world even because he and the Father had already entered into what theologians call the everlasting covenant. He, they, God knows everything from the beginning or he's not God. And so God knew that Adam and Eve were going to fail in the garden. And we don't have any stones to throw at Adam and Eve. We've seen enough out of our own life to know we'd have blown it in the garden too. So we don't have any stones. But God had a plan, is what I want you to see. And this plan come through the seed of Abraham, through the seed of David, all the way down to where Jesus becomes the only begotten Son of God. He sends His only begotten Son through the seed of Abraham by Mary in the New Testament. So what we, the condemnation we came under, under the first Adam, has been, has been overcome by the last Adam, Jesus Christ, who is the last Adam. So headship is not a bad thing because I'm going to show you what happens with this faith thing as we get into the next passage. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, I want to talk about this seed that we just mentioned there in, in Acts. In Galatians chapter 3, let's start with verse 1. He's talking to these Galatians. He's going to say something to them that the modern church is struggling with itself. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or beguiled you? That's a similar word to what happened in garden with Eve. The, the King James uses the word beguiled or and, and so that word means he calls me to forget just for a moment. And that's how sin works, right? Just for a moment, we forget everything. Just for a moment, we forget the consequences. We forget about God. That's how Satan works. He comes in stealthily like a serpent and just for a moment. And that's what Eve was actually saying there. She said when they, she was questioned, she said, he calls me to forget he caused me to forget what God had said and what the penalty that would have to be paid. He caused her to forget. And that's similar language to what the Holy Spirit's using here. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Your life, I don't care what vocation you have, I don't care what color of your skin you have, I don't care if you're man, only two we recognize around here. Because Jesus said in Matthew 27, he made them male and female. That's what God did. And if you substitute something for that, you're saying God didn't know what he was doing when he made you. Now, can you get to heaven and disagree with God? I don't think so. So what he's saying here, he's saying, you better stick with the truth. I don't care what the world's doing. I don't care what new fads come up. You better stick with the truth. And Paul was so adamant about them sticking with the truth. He said, I don't care if an angel brings you something other than we've given you by the Holy Spirit. Do not receive it. So he said, angels can appear as angels of light. Demons can or the devil can. So he, we stick with the word. Everything we do, we stick with the word. It starts here. If you want to know how to run your family, you start right here. I love James Dobson, but you don't start with him. You start right here. 
You want to know how to run a business? You start right here. You want to have a relationship with your wife? You start right here. You want to have a relationship with other brothers and sisters? You want to know how to sing? You start right here. You want to know how to pray? You start right here. You want to know how to build a church? You start right here. Everything starts with the Word. And what Paul's concerned about with these people in Galatia is that they've turned away from the truth, and he challenges that. He says, he says before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. I think that can be said of America. And we've walked away from God so much in this country for the last 60 years. Actually, since the 1920s, we've been walking away from God. And it's gotten worse. It's each generation. He said, He's clearly portrayed among you. I believe that's true of this country we live in. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He says, Are you so foolish? Have you begun in the Spirit and now are you being made perfect in the flesh? You, don't get, you and I don't get to a place where we can do this on our own. We, don't figure, we need God's help every day. We need the Holy Spirit working in our lives every day. We need Him to govern us. We need Him to lead us. We need Him to speak to us. We need Him to bring revelation to us. And so that's what Paul's challenging here. He's challenging them that you started out good, but now you're trying to do this stuff on your own. You're backing away from the truth. You're making your own rules up. That's happening in the church world make their own rules up. I've even heard a preacher say, if Paul were here, he wouldn't say some particular passage. He, would say, he wouldn't have said that if he were here today. Well, he just undermined all his authority. He ought to leave the ministry because Paul didn't write that. He only pinned it down. The Holy Spirit spoke it. So when you say the Holy Spirit wouldn't do something today that he did 100 years ago, you're saying that he's not perfect. The church is in trouble, not hardly as bad as the world, but a lot of the church is right behind them. But Jesus told us it would be that way. He said in the last days, the, the people would get lukewarm. They would abandon the truth. They'd set up their own rules and guidelines. And we see that in the world, and we see that a lot of times even inside the church. And he says, have you suffered so many things? He said, you're going to be made perfect beginning in the spirit and now going to the flesh. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it is in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Those who have faith in Christ. And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you the nation shall be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessed with the believing Abraham. Now, here's what happened. Abraham was before the law. So we got Abram who started out as Abram and then they added the ham to him. God added ham to him. If you're in Kentucky, his name's Abraham. If you're in Israel, his name is Abraham. Because this ha is the breath of life. So God put the life into Abraham. He gave him a new start. He called him out of Chaldea, sent him to the promised land, toward the promised land. And so he changed his name from Abram to Abraham or Abraham and Sarah to Sarah, Sarah to Sarah. He put the life, he put the ha in them, right? He breathed life into them. Well, what happens with man, and we're all this way because we're stubborn and we have hooks in us. God sent the law. Faith was before the law. This is where the Jews missed it a lot. Faith became before the law. It's always faith that God's been after, right? We call, we understand it pisteo, verb, right? Uh, faith in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament is primarily 
verbs. So the verbs do what? They have action. So true faith has action with it. So the law came, then Abraham, so the law was given for two reasons primarily. Number one, to show us our inability to please God on our own, right? That you, Moses couldn't keep the law, Daniel, Joseph, uh, or even the ones before and after and during. Only Jesus could keep the law. He fulfilled it. That's why we have to be in him to be righteous. That's why we have to be in him. This, this law, the requirements of God haven't changed. He demands perfection. But we can't give it to him in this flesh. So he sent his son, the seed that we brought up earlier. He sent his son in the fullness of time, and he brought him the cross. So it's always been faith that God's after. The law was only given to prove to us because we need that. We need, have you ever had a, a, sons are probably worse for this than, than daughters, but they, you know, you can say that you can't do that and they still want to try and do it, right? And human nature's that way a lot. Uh, get out of the way. I'll show you I can do it. And that's how we are inside. God, I can be good, Right? That's how we feel. And so God says, okay, if you want to live with me, here's what I require. And we said, we can't do that. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you this atonement, the everlasting covenant. So the second reason, one is to show us we can't do it. The second reason is to show us our need of a Savior or a mediator, as Job called him in his writings. So God sent the law not to save anybody. The law couldn't redeem anybody. The law was given. The law, and I've got a little clip, I think, on YouTube, about a 20-minute clip about the law, the x-ray. The law is an x-ray. It only identifies the problem. It can't fix it. You have to have the doctor or the medicine to fix it, right? But the law exposes the problem. That's why Paul said in the New Testament, when sin came... When the law came, I'm sorry, sin came alive, right? Until he come to where he understood right and wrong and understood that's what the law did. The law is like an x-ray. It exposes the problem, but it can't fix it. So the x-ray deals, shows what's going on, but then the great physician is what Jesus is called by one of the prophets in the Old Testament. He is the great physician. It takes the great physician to heal our problem. So you, the law came not to save anybody, but to prove to us something, because we're stubborn. And you know what? God didn't have to do any of that. He could have just said, hey, you guys blew it in the garden. I'm through with all of you. But he, he didn't. He keeps reaching out. He's long-suffering. Peter said it's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. That's God's plan. So the law came just to expose problems, but it's always been by faith. These guys we're looking to the cross because Isaiah said, by his stripes you are healed. And then Peter quotes that in the New Testament. He says, by his stripes you were healed. So they were look, they're all looking at the cross, one looking at it from this direction and the other one looking back at it from this direction. Everything you see is about Jesus Christ in the Bible. It's all to give us a picture of our salvation. You ain't going nowhere without Jesus. You may live a few years here and have whatever you call a good time, but that's it. The, you weren't meant, you and I are designed to come into Christ and live forever with God. If you take Genesis 1, that is the beautiful picture of salvation. The Bible says the earth was void without form and darkness covered it. That's us before we're saved. And then the light came and life came. That's what happens to us. We are dark. 
We're covered with darkness. We're void. We have no form. Then the light comes, which is Jesus Christ, and our life comes alive. That's salvation in chapter 1 of Genesis and all the way through the whole Bible is trying to show you a picture of Jesus. What are you living for? What are you living for? What am I living for? If we're not living for Jesus, we're missing the mark. And he's got a plan for your life. And he's got a plan. The life of faith is the most exciting life that you'll ever live. To get up every day and to walk with God and to see what he has. And sometimes he may just have you to sit on a creek bank and just be, spend time with him and not do anything. But it's such a beautiful life. To, and the greatest journey any of you have or your children or your grandchildren is the life of faith. It's the greatest journey. And we've made a God out of education. That, those things are not God's. The greatest, the most important thing your child or grandchild is doing is following Jesus. That's the most important thing because this life's going to come to a halt for all of us and maybe all of us together very soon because Jesus has made a plan and we see that terminal generation is alive and well. We see Jerusalem is now back under the controls of the Jews. And Jesus in Luke 21 said, when you see Jerusalem back out of the control of the Gentiles, back under the control of the Jews, know that this generation will not pass till everything's done. We're there. We're sitting on the brink of the return of the Lord. And none of us have the promise of tomorrow. So today is all we have. So you need to be living for Jesus today. God had a... Amen. God has an awesome plan. It's not His will that you, any would perish. God wants you on His side. He wants you to follow His Son. And in chapter 3, he says, now look at this next one. He says, For as many as are the works of the law are under curse, for it is written, Curse is everyone who does not continue the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So we can't keep the law, but faith was before the law. And then he says, that, uh, no, they, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Now he pulled this, the Holy Spirit brought this out of Habakkuk, out of the Old Testament. The, the prophet spoke that when he was pronouncing judgment on a group. He said, but the just will live by faith. Now, the Hebrew word is a little more extensive than what we see in the New Testament. It means, here's what's trying to be conveyed by Habakkuk. And Paul is piggybacking on it. And I'm sure piggy, Paul understood that because he's probably the greatest scholar that ever lived. And so, we, on, on that, Habakkuk was saying, the just shall live by their faith according to the faithfulness of God. That's what the Hebrew word's trying to do. So in other words, you can't just have faith in anything. you got to have faith in the faithfulness of God, right? And so the prophet was saying, you're going to live by your faith because God's faithfulness is so good. Can somebody say amen? amen. That's how we live. We, listen, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. What if God only let it rain on people that served him? What if God held the rain back when you wouldn't, where you're supposed to be? He let, he's so fair. He's so loving. He's so kind. God offers us not only the abundance of his omnipower, but he offers us an entrance right into his office to where we can live and dwell with him and know his goodness. And then Paul gets into this. He says, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. So we know the law's not doing the job. I'm not good with God because I dress a certain way or because I go to a certain building. I go, I'm good with God because I honor Him. He lives inside of my heart and I seek Him and I honor His commandments out of my love for Him. 
And that's not a one-day-a-week thing. It's a seven-day-a-week thing. And he, Paul said every day is a Sabbath to the Christian. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us. So you and I deserve to hang on that tree, but he took the tree for us. And I've shared this before. It's very possible that he took the cross that Barabbas was working on. Because those guys who are awaiting execution would sit in prison and cut out their own crosses to be hung on when they were time to, time to be executed. Well, Jesus was tried, convicted in less than 24 hours. There's no way he had time to cut out his own cross. So not only probably did he take Barabbas's place, but it's very possible that he took the very cross that Barabbas was cutting on. Now, what's the Lord saying to us by that? We had a, my children had a rabbit one time. We named it Barabbit. I don't know where that come from. I'm getting old. But Barabbas, what's the Lord saying to us? Because Barabbas was basically like the Charles Manson of their day. I mean, he was notorious for all of his evil. And so the Lord is saying, I'm taking the place of the worst guy in the whole culture first thing. I'm taking his place. He was scheduled, Barabbas was scheduled to die that day. And Jesus took his place and all of our places. But what a mouthful, what a, what a message to the whole world. Of all the people, he's taken the worst guy, the insurrectionist, the guy that was going to be in the middle. He was the premier guy to die that day, Barabbas was. And Jesus, he was that wicked, and the whole culture hated him. They were ready for him to die. But then here comes Jesus, and they said, Hey, release Barabbas, we'll put, let's put Jesus to death. But all that's planned, all that's God's hand. Jesus took the, worst, took the place of the worst guy in the culture. That speaks volumes to us. What's it say? No matter how deep in sin you are, how far down you are, how dark, how black it is, the Lord is willing to take. And, and let me say something that the world's finding out. They're finding out. They, we forgive in here. They don't forgive out there. They'll dig something up from 40 years ago and destroy somebody with it. They, they're the ones that, this is the safe space right here where you can have your sins forgiven, all your sins washed away. That's the kind of Savior I save. I'm glad he took my place. Can you say amen? So then he goes on, he says, uh, he, now to Abraham in verse 16, and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds. It's not plural, as of many, but of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Toss me those Kleenexes there. Somebody. I should have brought my hankies. So here's how you get to heaven. You don't get to heaven because your grandma was good. She may have been good. She may be up there waiting on you. You don't get to heaven because you keep the law, because you can't do that no how. You don't get to heaven because you go to a certain building. You get to heaven because you got in the seed. Jesus clothes you with his righteousness. You're never going to be perfect. God looked for a perfect man. He found him. His name's Jesus. He's not looking for perfect people. What's he looking for? He's looking for people who won't give up. He's looking for people who will endure. And so the Lord clothes us with his righteousness. That's how we're born again. He is the seed. That's what God was raising up. The seed of Abraham, the seed of David, the only begotten son. So if you want to get to heaven, you've got to surrender your life, accept Jesus as your Savior, and be clothed in His righteousness. He is the seed. 
Now, as we look forward, he says, and, and his seeds not of many, but as one, and to the seed who is Christ. And this I say, the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance was by the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham as promise. And that's what I've shown you. Faith here. God's look. These guys were looking for the Messiah. They were waiting for him. The Messiah's come and gone. We look back and believe. They look forward and believe. But it's always been about faith. That's what God's after. So if you believe that, God, that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, if you will ask Him to wash you and cleanse you, and you will make Him Lord of your life and follow Him, then you are on your way to heaven. That's, that's, that's what the Lord's trying to get across to us. Now, I want to take you to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Just put that on the board there, 3 and 15. This is what he said early on. As I told you, it's all about Jesus, the whole Bible. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Next verse. I will great, the, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and conception and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for us and he shall rule over you. Next verse. To Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree, I have commanded you, saying, you shall eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The curse came in. The curse came in, and now the serpent is going to be under the heel of the seed of the woman. Who is the seed of the woman? Jesus. That's what we're talking about. The seed, not seeds. You don't get salvation on your own. You don't get good enough to do it. You believe in the seed, singular seed. Now, let me, uh, you can turn with me to John uh, chapter 19. That'll be the last place we go. In the Old Testament, David kills Goliath. And Jewish history says that after David killed Goliath, this is biblical actually, he takes his head off, right? That's all in the Bible. But Jewish history says he brings his head and sets it outside on a hill outside of Jerusalem testifying prophetically that there's one coming to this hill that will take away, that will destroy your enemy, which is death, the devil, right? So he sets the skull. It's called the place of the skull. It's called Golgotha, right? Or it originally was called Golgoliath because that's where David, they say, stuck the head of Goliath speaking to the whole world that there's one coming to this hill, which was Jesus, the same hill, later to lay his life down so you and I could have eternal life and he would destroy our enemy, which is Satan and death. So David was prophetically sharing with us by setting Goliath's head out there saying, hey, there's one coming that's going to take away our sins. Let's go to John chapter 19. Let's look at verse 10. In John chapter 19, verse 10, here's what he says to us. He says, Then Pilate said to him, You are not speaking to me. Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power to, at, at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, now we need to remember that. We need to remember God's in charge. Uh, I can have as much of God as I want to. It's not somebody else's fault. I can go as far in God as I want to. It's not somebody, I, I, nobody can hold me down. God can raise me up. Look at Joseph. He got to the bottom of the rung in Egypt, and before God was through with him, they were calling him Savior of the world. It's not, you can get along with God. You, God will raise you up. 
He'll do things in your life. It's not somebody else. Well, I can't because somebody's keep. No, that's not true. You mean that person is bigger than God so they can hold you down? That ain't true. That's a lie. You can have as much of God as you want. You can go as far in God as you want. He says, you can have no power against me unless it's been given you. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whosoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So they're using politics on Caesar. Now, Caesar's wife already said, Hey, I had a dream. This ain't a good thing. You're messing with Jesus. And then, he, then uh, Pilate therefore heard the saying and brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, that's what we're all going to be faced with. People are faced with it on the job. Young people are faced with it in schools, in the public. Whether you're going to stand for truth or you're going to cave to the politics of the day. That's what that was. That was politics. Saying... Don't stand up for the right, most righteous, the only, right, the only perfect man that's ever lived. Don't stand up for him back down, buddy, because we got politics here. Are you hearing me? That's where we're at. The whole world's running around with that. Saul started politics. He started it. You know where politics started? It started with King Saul because Saul was given the command by God, and when he got up and saw the stuff and the people, he done the opposite. He didn't obey God. And when, God, when the prophet confronted him about it, he said it was because of the people, the people. So he cared more about what the people wanted than what God wanted. And that's what's wrong with this country. That's what's wrong with our politics in this nation. They care more about what people want than what God wants. Now, God never intended for there to be separation in church. So I'm going to hit this head on. God never intended for there to be separation in church state. In fact, God said, told Israel, he said, you guys... Put me in the center of it, and you revolve everything else around me. You rob, you rob your livestock, your job, your family, your whatever. You, I'm in the center. God, if you think you're going to heaven, and there's a separation between politics and 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 Christianity, <laughs> you're badly mistaken. God's going to be the center of everything. And when Israel got in trouble, is when they took God out of the center of their culture and let other things come up. Then they started having these battles. The same thing could be said on your personal life. You let God be the center of your life and, and let everything else revolve around that. Your job, your friends, your retirement, everything else is second, right? Well, Israel did fine as long as they did. Then, then Saul got into politics, started playing politics, and he cared more about what people thought than what God thought. And that's what got him in trouble, lost his position. Then he started lying about it. So God said he wants to be the center of everything. And now, because we have a corrupt world, God's not going to be the center of the systems in this world. I'm not looking for that to happen. But he can be the center of your life. He can be in the center of your life. He says, when Pilate therefore heard the saying, and sat down in the judgment seat, places called Gabbatha, now it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to, the, to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him. And Jesus in the center. And Pilate rolled a little and put, 
wrote a little a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now let me rehearse what happened. In Exodus, God instituted the Passover. Some of you heard this the other night. Four days before the Passover, they were to bring the lamb into their house. They were to inspect it. They were to identify it. They were to get it ready for the sacrifice. They were actually getting closer to it. So it made the sacrifice just a little more intense when you've had this little lamb in your house for four days, loving on it and feeding it. Now, when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, John the Baptist is of the tribe of Aaron. So it was fitting. The priests were the ones. He was of the priesthood tribe. It was fitting that a priest would identify the Lamb. That was their job. And so then Jesus, four days before Passover, what we call Palm Sunday, walks into Jerusalem. Where does he go? They were to bring that lamb four days before the Passover into their house. God brought his lamb four days, and he took him straight to his house. He went in the temple. Does anybody feel that besides me? He went right in the temple, and, he, and this was God's lamb, and God brought it to his house. And he cleaned the temple up. And then he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Similar to Joseph, who was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was between two. One went to heaven, the other one didn't. Joseph was between two. One was alive, the other one died. Joseph took a Gentile bride before the famine. Jesus is going to take primarily a Gentile bride before the seven years of tribulation. Joseph revealed himself to his brothers during the tribulation or the famine. Jesus is going to reveal himself back to the Jews during the tribulation. It's all a beautiful picture. Joseph was sold by his brothers. Jesus was betrayed by his brothers. But the priests, all this was God's plan. Because the priests offered him up, and it was their job. The priests, unbeknownst to them, offered him up to the Romans to be crucified. So everything was planned by God. Everything, every, from bringing the lamb in to where people could uh, inspect him for four days. And what did they say? That was what the, the families of the Jews, so they bring the lamb and inspect it. They said, hey, we find no fault with him. Their testimonies couldn't agree. He was the perfect, he was the perfect lamb. So God brought him in. God did everything according to the pattern, showing us a beautiful picture that all of this, from Genesis 1 through Exodus through Leviticus, all of this was about his son. So in, in, with Abraham, you have a lamb for one, right? He, he was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac. God brought him a lamb. Then, in, then the next thing in Exodus, you have a lamb for a house. When Moses and them are leaving, they took a lamb for a house. Then in Leviticus, when the priesthood was established, then you have a lamb for the nation. They would sacrifice on that for the nation. And then finally, when John said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now we have a Lamb for the whole world. Now, if it's not God's will that any would perish, that means that every sin has been covered by Jesus Christ. So if anybody goes to hell, right? If anybody goes to hell, it's their own fault. He's willing to, to, to do whatever it takes to bring us into the kingdom. Can you say amen? Now, Golgotha, God said he would never fail to have a man on the throne. So he sends his son. His son comes through the lineage. And even though Solomon's line had been cut off, and you think, uh-oh, how's he going to have this man on the throne? Joseph was not Jesus' father. God was. The seed come through the woman. And so the woman gave birth. And guess what Mary was? She was of the tribe of Judah as well. And she was from David's other son, Nathan. 
Solomon's line got cut off for their wickedness. But God kept his promise, and he kept bringing the seed all the way down through Nathan into Mary. Mary's lineage was of the same tribe. God is faithful. This seed that he brought to us. Now, let me tell you something. In him, we live and move and have our bank in the seed. In him, you are predestined. Right? In, not outside of him. You don't run around here claiming promises because your granddaddy was a preacher or whatever. You in him. Everything's in him. All the promises in him are yes and amen. They are in him. You don't do your own thing and claim the things of Jesus. You step into him. You get clothed by the seed. You do things his way. Listen, if you think you're going to have to do something you, you don't like in Christ, big deal. We all do. We all have to be corralled by God, right? The truth is not truth because it fits for you. Truth is truth because God said it. And it's not going to change. It's inalterable. Facts can change. I'm about to throw everything down. Facts can change, but truth never changes. It remains the same, right? You live in Kentucky, you know facts change. It'd be 80 degrees last week and 32 this week. But truth is inalterable. It's a person. Truth is Jesus. He is the seed. And you think, let that sink down into your brain just for a minute. The only begotten son who lived on a throne, who took on flesh, and some theologians, and I lean this way, think that he may be confined and have scars throughout eternity. Do you think about that? He gave up all that to live with scars through eternity for us. He was beaten for nothing. He was perfect. He was beaten. He didn't have any sin. You think about that and deal with that. We've all got to deal with that. Your mother and parents, your mother and father are not the people that love you the most. Your, your son or daughter, your grand, Jesus loves you the most. No one could save you except for him. And he paid a heavy, heavy price so that all of us could live in eternity. Our life's but a vapor here, James said. It's here today and gone tomorrow. How many wake up and realize that? You know, life flies. But we're waiting on eternity, and God sent His Son. So He, in Him, is all in Christ, in the seed. Not in a denomination. Not in a people group. Not in a certain sect. In the seed. Now, if you want to understand predestination, you've got to understand it in the seed. In Him, I am predestined to eternal life. In Him, not outside of Him. You don't just have concepts that you cling to. You cling to the seed. You understand the truth. The seed is the truth. He is the truth. Golgotha. He went to Golgotha. I'll close here. It says, they delivered him. I'm going to go back in John just real quickly. We have no king but Caesar, they said. That's the priesthood saying that. That's the people of his own nation. There's the king of kings, not just the king. He's the king over everything. And they said, we don't have a king except Caesar. That's politics. They were afraid. That's politics. They were afraid of Caesar. They were afraid of Pilate. That they wouldn't stand up for the only king of kings. Then they delivered him to, the, to be crucified. Then he took Jesus and led him away. In verse 17, And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of the skull, or Golgotha, or Golgoliath, which is called in the Hebrew, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. 
They crucified him there. There was where Jesus crushed our enemy. Stand our feet. He's risen. He's alive. He has crushed our enemy. You have eternal life abiding in you. And I feel that. We are free because of what Jesus done. We're not free because we're born in a certain family or because we're born in America. We're free because Jesus Christ has crushed the head of the serpent. Let's give him praise for that this morning. Lord, we come to you right now as we open our altar. If there's anybody here that's lost, help them not to be afraid to slip out of their seat and come and surrender their life to you. Maybe there's somebody here that's a prodigal that needs to get out of the hog lot and turn around and go home. You paid the price for all of our sins before, during, and after. You paid for them all. You are still the way, the truth, and the life. And you crushed the serpent for us so that we could go free. As we take this moment, Lord, we pray that you'll touch the hearts of the people that are here today. And if anybody needs to get their life right with you, that they'll do that today. That we've all walked that aisle. It's not, you're not out of place here to walk this aisle. Will you come and surrender to Jesus today? What a memorial, memorable Easter, Passover season. If you surrender today, let's worship Him. Thank you.